Welcome to a Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I am your host, Josh Lindsay, from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with us is our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey there, Josh Lindsay. Hello, Christian Taylor. And always our trusty, dusty, research extraordinaire, typing on the computer, audio guy, Jason Rugg. Hey there. So hey, Jason. T- today, uh, we want to talk uh, or do a uh, kind of a Q&A, if you will. Jason and I would like to drill question, Christian with questions. That was hard to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just learn, just kind of more... Well, a variety yeah. of potpourri of things. Yeah, I mean, we're still kind of uh, in the zone of, you know, what happened in France and what that was ex- that experience was like. Um, but I do think it would be interesting to hear what you guys are curious about. Well, let's start with France. So you had eleven screenings, and from what I gathered, there were very different venues. They were which to well to me it didn't sound you know like okay well fine. But as it turns out, it plays a big role in... The delivery experience of the film. Absolutely. And I think, what did I learn from this? Number one, as as a filmmaker going to show my film, I would certainly want to understand the venues before I ever screen there. So, lesson number one. Before you screen a film, go to the venue. Go to the venue. Look at it. Watch things. Test your film, if at all possible, because everything can change the experience of your film, Uh, the way it's projected, the kind of file you use, the screen you're using, the the seats that people are sitting in, the hot or cold of the film. Because we'll uh, assume they're sitting in a movie theater with stadium seats and cup holders with air conditioning. Right. Right. Not for focus group screenings (laughs) in France. Um, So just to cover the venues, you know, I talked about the Utah Beach Museum. It is an older theater, outdated equipment, um, you know, no acoustic treatment treatment on the walls. So it looked very grainy. The sound didn't sound balanced at all. You could the music was too quiet. The speaking was too loud. I thought I, that was the first time I thought our sound guy just really messed things up, but it wasn't the case. Mm. It was just the um, the way the room we were in. Then we went to the Airborne Museum. It was our second screening. It's a little better. It's a new, a little bit of a newer theater. It's um, more like a theater, although the seats were sort of all in one. Uh, level. They weren't, what do you call these? Stadium. Yeah, it wasn't stadium seating. Um, but it did look a little better and it sounded a little better. So that was encouraging. Um, and the people in charge of the Airborne Museum understood their technology better. And so we just transferred a file onto their computer and it was a QuickTime file that worked nicely. However, the next venue really gave us a challenge, and that was the DD experience that I mentioned before. It's a brand new IMAX theater, and they needed a DCP folder. Um, and though my partner in the United States had made a DCP file for us, which took you know 15 hours to make or whatever, um, and is huge, uh, it wouldn't. It wasn't recognized by the D-Day experience, which presented a really awful problem for us. Um, we tried to figure out how to get that computer to recognize our folder. We tried in many different ways. Nothing we could do would get that folder to be recognized by that uh, projector. So the only option that we were given was making a Blu-ray disc to play in this theater. I'm in France. 
I have to figure out how to make a Blu-ray <laughs> with no equipment and an Apple computer that apparently does not work anywhere in France. So fortunately, my co-producer, Flo Boucherie, um, had a, a technical guy who really did understand computers and things like that, but he didn't speak any English, and his computer was all in French. So we couldn't just borrow his stuff. We need to work with him. And I think what was hard for me about this is I really did think I was going to go to France and it was going to be all fun and games and I was just going to enjoy these <laughs> celebrations of things. I landed on May 21st and until June 3rd, the day before the D-Day experience screening, I was working to solve this problem. Wow. And with all these different you know, problems that we had with the delivery of the film in each different venue. And um, so we ended up having to travel to Cher- north to Cherbourg to find a Blu-ray burner. Once we got the burner, we realized they don't make software anymore to blur- burn uh, Blu-rays. Finally, somehow, Patrick, this friend of Flo's, uh, realized he had some ancient software that actually burned a blu-ray and so over a course of a 12 or 20 hour period we were actually able to burn the blu-ray then we had to go to the dda experience and find out if it actually played and it did play but we didn't have time to watch through the whole thing which is (laughs) what you're supposed to do and um it's probably a good thing that we didn't because it skipped there was a section in there where it just froze, and fortunately, it was the only one, and fortunately, it went back and continued playing the film. But had we noticed that it had skipped, we would have, we would have felt compelled sure. to make another Blu-ray, and we would not have had time. And <laughs> So in a sense, it all worked out okay. Um, somebody asked me at the end, after the whole thing was over, what was the best moment for you in this month? And I was like the day that that Blu-ray played and I knew we could be at the D-Day experience. We had, we had, it was a 200 seat theater. You know, we had all these people coming, a lot of extras that had worked on the film. And I was just crushed thinking that nobody was going to be able to see it. We had a veteran, Charles Shea, one of our cornerstone veterans and Marie Pascal Legrand who were going to be there. And I just really wanted them to see it. So, so anyway, and then from there we had the Normandy Victory Museum, which is this black box of a theater with a computer from 1984, uh, with that you plug into, I don't know, some sort of weird sound system. Um, but all of the chairs in this room were all the same, and the screen was at a certain way where people couldn't read the subtitles well. Um, and so the next time I had that sort of flat seating thing, I was like, we need to stagger the chairs. We need to make sure people can read the subtitles. Um, so I became a lot more savvy as time went on about what our film needed to be better experienced. So by the time we got to the U.S. Embassy, which was a super exciting thing, that um, David Chapman, Colonel David Chapman, is the senior military attaché at the U.S. Embassy in Paris. After he saw it, he was so blown away, he told the ambassador, the U.S. ambassador to France, Jamie McCord, you have got to show this here. And she was so excited about it. She's like, absolutely, let's show it at the embassy. Um, And she was, we were hoping she would come. She ended up not being able to. But um, foreign service personnel and embassy workers were in attendance there. And it was in the Hotel Talleyrand, which is owned by the embassy. And it's used for their venues. But it's this 
big, beautiful, it looks like the Palace of Versailles, like just a miniature scaled down. So we were in this big, huge room that looked like a dining room at the Palace of Versailles. And I was like, this is not a good place for a screening. And, and all, <laughs> all they were giving me was this giant smart TV, which in a huge room that looks like, you know, a dining room at Versailles right, right. was like this, you know, a little tiny, tiny like right. computer screen. So I had to figure out the best way and what I learned there, too, is they were going to use TV speakers. Well, I'm like, that is not happening. Like, yeah. you have to hear the music and the sound to get the full experience. And I saw these Bose speakers in the corners. And I'm like, we have got to figure out how to get these two to talk to each other. And so they had to call in somebody. But had I not had those negative experiences right. in the past, I wouldn't have known or had the guts to be so demanding at the U.S. <laughs> Embassy about how I wanted my film to be experienced. Well, that's exciting. That's really cool. It was incredibly humbling. It was incredibly humbling. All right. So for most people, how are they going to be viewing this film? Well, it's interesting that you bring that up. The last time I showed this film, I realized that, well, I showed it in a living room. I showed it in a living room on a smart TV, you know, with eight people. And I realized that this is how most people will be viewing the film. They're not going to be in a theater. They're not going to be – maybe they'll be in a museum, but it won't be this film. Nobody's going to sit for two hours in a museum. So – and it was very different there. So our experience, our collective experience of watching a film changes depending on what venue you're in, the people that you're with, and how you're feeling. So in this room, we were all super comfortable. It was mostly veterans – but we had one high school kid in there. Um, everybody in that room said, do not change a thing. This is a fantastic film exactly like it is. Don't change a thing. And no, you know, they laughed. They cried. Um, it was a much more intimate experience. And then I thought, you know, most people will be watching this as an individual. They'll either watch it on their phones or they'll watch it in their bed at night, mm -hmm. or they'll watch it on their in their television, you know, in their living room. Um, and so, I think that we are at a good place. I think you know it's not a theatrical film, and it will live well on your smartphone or TV. And it gave me a lot of confidence that where we are right now, for how it's mostly going to be viewed, is a good thing. All right. It's interesting to me, though, just how every different venue changed the experience of the film. Oh, sure. Yeah, and if they were hungry or hot or cold or whatever, <laughs> yes. right? You know, so. so you're gonna make sure you make sure you feed your audience well <laughs> <laughs> before they sit down, and that they go to the bathroom and all of those things. Treat them like they're little kids. <laughs> all, all right, right, so we were gonna do question and answers. Are we headed that direction? Yeah, or? Jason, you got a question you want to kick us off with? Uh, sure. Um, as you filmed and pursued the story, these are questions we got from uh, people who worked on the film. What was the one moment that stands out to you? that really made you cry? Well, as I filmed or as I watched or what it, what was the question as I filmed? As you filmed it, as you made, like what is one moment that really stood out to you that made you cry? So. Because you talked about a lot of experiences that were really emotional. Yeah. So what is like the one, the really big one? Well, I, I mean, I, I have to say, I mean, there are two. So, and one's French and one is American. So there were, Two French people that I was speaking with who told their experiences of D-Day. 
and what they remembered. And they were very, very emotional, Denise LeConte and Henri-Jean Renault. And they were very emotional in the telling of their memories. And they were um, violent and bloody. And it was their, in Henri-Jean's case, it was his first experience of death. I mean, he remembers walking out of his house over to where a paratrooper was hanging in a tree and the paratrooper's boots came right up to his nose. You know, I mean, it was a, it was a first time he understood death and he reached out to touch the paratrooper's boots and a standing American by, you know, told him to get out, get out. But it was so profound for him. He says in our film, a lot of people, you know, everything marks your life, you know, your, your marriage, the birth of your children, you know, maybe what you do for work, but all of those things mark my life. But after my, after that, it's June 6, 1944, you know? And so hearing that just is, I mean, I did, I cried through probably each interview as they were telling me those emotional memories. And then C.O. Bauer. C.O. Bauer is a, a veteran who talked about the failure of humanity and the failure of humanity is, oh man, I mean, this just breaks my heart. It makes me cry every time I think about it. But he's like, you know, people... If they're not historically minded or interested, after two minutes, their eyes glaze over. They don't listen to me. I heard a veteran in Normandy this summer thank the French people and said, you know, back home, all we are is old. Slay me now. I mean, that was awful. I I cried there on the spot because he's right. And I was with a veteran on Monday. And when C.O. Bauer said what he said about, you know, Americans not caring or listening or asking questions, I heard him audibly say to his wife, that's absolutely right. And afterward, that same veteran told us a story from 1965 of being in a battle in the Dominican Republic, a war that I've never heard about. Have you heard about it? No. No. I haven't either, and apparently if you Google it on Wikipedia, it's not correct. The details are not correct. On Wikipedia? I can't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) And, And he said, wow, I've never told that story before. Nobody's ever asked me. Wow. Yeah. So it's moments like those, and I've had a bunch of them. I remember screening the film at the Airborne Museum, and a guy had to leave early and he went with two of his friends. He could barely get out. He was stumbling, couldn't stand up. He was crying so hard. And he was so upset about not being able to finish the film, and you know, because he had to leave. And, um, you know, but I had that experience a lot. I had Hunter, you know Hunter, my own son, who served in Afghanistan, still in the military. After he watched it, I was in France at the time, because um, we released it to you know, friends and family the same day that we screened it for the first time. Hunter called me for 20 minutes sobbing so hard I could barely understand what he was saying. Wow. And he started unpacking all of these uh, memories from Afghanistan. And he told me about how he would throw out MREs to these little children in Afghanistan and they couldn't open. One girl got really mad at him because he thought he was taunting her because she couldn't get into it, you know. 
And he just began sharing things I've never heard him say before. And that was not the first time. I had other veterans, every time I showed it, come up to me and tell me things about their own war experience as they're crying. And I said to Hunter, like, this was a totally unexpected thing, this cathartic thing that was happening with these modern-day soldiers. And I said, Hunter, what is happening? He's like, Mom, we all sign up to make a difference. We want to know that when we go into different countries, we make a difference. This movie gives us hope. Hmm. I was like, wow. I mean, I never even expected to hear that. Or, But that's what the focus group screenings did for me. It made me realize that we have something really special. And, and it appealed to – I had a 10-year-old, a 10-year-old girl, homeschool girl, who came, watched – filled out a survey, and I was blown away by what she said. She watched everything. She loved it. She told me what she learned and what she thought, you know, all the way up to Brad Freeman, who's 95 years old and fought in World War II, who, you know, said, boy, that brought back a lot of memories. And, you know, this is a really important film to, you know, veterans saying, wow, nobody ever asked me my story before. So I realized the power. I mean, it's a miracle of God, and, and I don't mean that lightly. It is a miracle of God that, that anything we put together in 12 weeks to show landed with an audience at all. But the fact that it had this powerful impact on people um, tells me that even though we still have a lot of work to do, um, we've got something good. Well, Looking forward to all the American screens here. Very excited to, to yeah. see that. Speaking of which, if you are listening to this, July 24th is the Chicago screening. And so that screening uh, is being held in the, the Lake Theater in Oak Park. Um, we Hopefully this is airing before July 24th. Uh, but <laughs> nope. No? So we're going um, to... Hope you were there. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to like offer tickets online for $20 suggested donation so watch our Facebook page I may release this early because they could do it retroactively just say I wish I was there here's 20 bucks right? <laughs> that's true alright well hey thanks for sharing all that I wish we had more time we'll have more time on future podcasts to jump into more of these questions we've got a lot of great questions here so um, hey everyone thanks for listening to Documentary First where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it thanks everybody bye everybody <laughs>